from the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They traveled in orderly groups from point to point to point through the desert, from Elam through the desert, through a part of the desert called the wilderness of sin. The wilderness of sin. It's a region, it's not a huge region, but it's a region of the desert there in Arabia. It's desolate. It's a wilderness. It's, um, it's a wasteland. But it doesn't mean what it sounds like it might mean. When you say wilderness of sin, you think it's talking about sin. You know, the big S-I-N, the big naughties. But that's not what it's talking about. The Hebrew word is midbar zin, midbar zin, and it does not reference sinfulness. Midbar zin means the wilderness or wasteland of the moon, huh? The lunar wasteland or the wasteland of the moon, or more specifically, the wasteland of the moon god. Now, this is what it looks like. That's what the wilderness of sin looks like. It's empty. It's dusty. It's dirty. It's filled with rocks and hills. There's very little life there. It's dry, 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 and it's hot in the day and cold at night. It's an icky place to live. You wouldn't want to live there. In fact, just about the only thing that lives there is scorpions and other bugs. You just don't want to live there. It doesn't look like fun. There's, doesn't, it's not, it doesn't look like a beach, really. There's no water there. But that's what it looks like. Now, interestingly enough, when we got to the moon, we discovered that the moon looks kind of similar. Dust and rock... And not a whole lot of water, friends. And it's hot in the daytime and cold at night. How ironic. What looked like that kind of looks like that, don't it? The wilderness on the moon. The wilderness of the moon. But more specifically, that is where the moon god Lived. Sin refers to the Semitic moon deity who was worshipped widely in pre-Islamic Arabia. In fact, today, if you look at all the Islamic flags of the Islamic states and republics and kingdoms in the area, you'll see this half-crescent moon with a star in it, this half-crescent moon. That's, a, that's an echo back to the goddess Zen, the moon god. In fact, the Kaaba, which is that great big square box in the middle of the great big mosque there in Mecca that they go around and around and around and pray, the Kaaba has in it a little rock that they believe is the moonstone, a messenger from Zen, the moon god. So elements of their pre Muslim pre-Islamic faith are still present in their own faith today in the worship of the moon god. 
there you see him at, at, on his altar, kind of changes gender a lot, on the altar, and you see the moon above him. See it? In crescent form? Right there. Here's a close-up of him. That's the moon god, the god of Zin. And it was believed by the ancient Semites that this god lived there in this wilderness. When the, when the moon would set, the god would stay there and live there in the wilderness. And this was the wilderness of his abode. And they were trying to get through it as quickly as they could because there was no water there. Sin. The wilderness of sin. The wandering amidst the gods of this world. And they're trying to get through it as quickly as they can to get to where God has directed them. Now we must remember, these people had seen God work amazing miracles. The plagues in Egypt. The exodus out of Egypt. The pillar of smoke that led them by day and the pillar of fire that led them by night. The gathering at the bank of the Red Sea when the pillar of fire came and stood between them and the Egyptians who were chasing them and blocked the way of the Egyptians all night long while the wind blew across the Red Sea and in the morning they went across on dry land to the other side. Meanwhile God in the pillar of fire comes and stands behind them between them and the Egyptians who are racing stupidly down into the water, into the, that bridge through the water to try to follow the Israelites, thinking, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. Dumb, 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 dumb. Because it says in the passage of the Exodus that God looks down upon them from the pillar of fire and smoke. That's just kind of bone chilling right there, friends. And then the water comes pouring in, and they get drowned. And the Israelites... See it. They see the Egyptians. Pharaoh and his armies get drowned there in the sea. They've seen these miracles of deliverance. They've seen these miracles of God's wonders. And still, they complained. They whined and complained. And the Israelites are really good at whining and complaining. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? Give us water to drink. Didn't they really pay attention to those miracles of deliverance? I guess not. In chapter 14, God delivered them through the sea. In chapter 15, they sang a great big song about it. Miriam leads this dance of the women and they sing a wonderful song about their deliverance. This is one of the oldest, most ancient passages in the entire Scripture, predating all the rest. The song of Miriam celebrating the victory over the Pharaoh's chariots and armies in the sea. And before they could even get out of chapter 15. Before you can get out of chapter 15, they're already whining and complaining. The water at Elim, the water they found there was, was bitter. 
And so God takes them to where there are 12 springs of water. And in chapter 16, having gotten water to begin with, having had bitter water, then gotten pure water, in chapter 16, they discover they're hungry. You've led us out into the desert to die of hunger. And so God rains manna, the what-is-it bread, down upon them and gives them food to eat, miraculous provisional food to eat, manna, the what-is-it bread to eat. And now we come to chapter 17. You I mean, they've seen these wonders, deliverance out of Egypt. They've seen these wonders, deliverance through the Red Sea. They see these wonders, the manna coming down from heaven day after day after day after day. But now they're in the desert, the wilderness of sin, the wilderness of the moon god, and they're afraid. And they're parched because this wasteland has no water has nothing to drink and they don't know where they're going to get their next drink of water and they're afraid and so in chapter 17 they begin to whine and complain about it being desolate and dry and they are thirsty and they complain and Moses cries out to the Lord what shall I do with this people they're almost ready to stone me. He was terrified, friends. He thought they were going to call the district superintendent on him. He was in trouble. They're getting ready to beat me up. And later on at Mount Sinai, Moses says, this is your people, God. And God says, it's your people. No, they're not mine. They're yours. Hot potato Israelites. Here he just says, what shall I do with this people? Not my people this people. I don't blame him. I don't blame him one little bit. He's the guy on point. He's the guy in jeopardy. He was the responsible party. And the people were mad at him. And God being gracious, being gracious indeed makes provision. Just as God has made provision delivering the Israelites out of captivity, just as God made provision protecting the Israelites through the desert, just as God made provision protecting them through the Red Sea, just as God made provision providing them manna from the wilderness, now God's going to make provision with water. Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Pause for a moment there. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. A little reminder here, Moses. Remember what you did with your staff? You struck the Nile and it turned to blood. Take that staff with which I worked my wonders through you. Take that staff with you. And go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Note, I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. The rock. Not a rock. Not any old rock. The definite article here is important. It's not accidental. 
the rock, a prominent rock, a well-known rock, a specific landmark, and God would be standing on it. And note what he says next. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. Now, let's pause for a second and think about that. It's the wilderness of sin. It's Rephidim. It's hot. It's dry. There's no water to be seen anywhere. There's not a cloud in the sky that's going to rain on them. There's no sign anywhere of water. The only erosion they see around is wind erosion. It's dry. It's dusty. It's icky. It's death. Just scorpions crawling around, other critters, possibly some snakes deep down. No sign of water, no springs, no rivers, no dry lake bed even. It's dry. The wilderness of the moon. And God says, go in front of all the people and take the elders with you and take your staff. And I'm going to stand on that big old rock over there and you're going to strike it and water's going to come out. Now, to do that, it takes faith. Simple faith. You've got to trust that what looks impossible, God's going to nevertheless do. It's dry, it's dusty, it's hot, there's no water to be seen. It's just a great big rock with a split in it. It's kind of strange looking. No wonder they knew what it was. It's rather distinctive. God says, I'm going to stand on it, and I want you to strike it. And water's going to come out. And so Moses, in faith, takes his staff and takes the elders of the people and goes and strikes the rock. And water miraculously flows from it. Today, around in the wilderness of sin, there's nothing but wind erosion, except for around this rock where it's water erosion. In the middle of a desert where there has been no seabed, where there is no river, there's just dusty wind for centuries and centuries and centuries, there's water erosion. Water flowed from the rock. A miraculous provision of water. In the midst of the wilderness, the wilderness of the moon god, sin, God provided them water. This teaches us that we too can trust God, even in the midst of the wildernesses of our sin, the idols that we follow day after day, in the struggles that we have to follow God, in the whining and complaining that we do time and time and time again. I mean, God, at one point on Mount Sinai, God said to Moses, get out of the way, I'm going to strike them all dead and start all over with you. And Moses stood up and said, God, you're not going to do that. Because if you do that, people for all eternity are going to say that you took them out of Egypt to kill them, just like you, they said that you were going to do. And God doesn't. God relents. Yes, the people get punished, but God 
continues with them and forgives them and moves forward with them anyway. Even though they had been a complaining, quarreling bunch who couldn't get it right and are constantly trying to worship other gods, constantly complaining, constantly blaming God and Moses, thankless, self-centered people. Nevertheless, God continued with them, contended with them, occasionally punished them, but did not give up on them, and instead provides a miracle provision, totally without explanation, a miracle provision of water, nourishment, food from the heavens, water from the rock. And God, it says, stood on the rock and was in their midst. This was good news for the Israelites, and it's good news for us. If God will accept and eventually forgive those Israelites, even though they complained and bickered and moaned and groaned constantly and went astray and did what they weren't supposed to do repeatedly, God will work with us. God will provide miraculous food and water for us. He already has in Jesus Christ our Lord, our true eternal source of grace and forgiveness and peace and strength. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He took our place. He took the sin guilt that we have. He took the guilt that we have upon Himself. He took all of our sins upon Himself and then paid the price and died for us that we might not fear the Father, but that we might come to the Father with trust, with faith, with hope, and eat and drink the miracle provision of His grace in the body of Christ and receive the forgiveness in His shed blood and be transformed by the water of life. My brothers and sisters, the Israelites, they didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve the manna. They didn't deserve the water. They didn't deserve the quail they'd get. They didn't deserve being delivered out of Egypt. They didn't deserve being delivered through the Red Sea. They didn't deserve having their battles be successful. Later on, Moses is going to be lifting his hands up for the battle to go well. He gets tired. Aaron and Hur come along, hold his arms up so the battle will go well. They didn't deserve victory. God gave it to them anyway. Likewise, we don't deserve victory, but we have it in Jesus. We have it in our rock, Jesus Christ our Lord, the true rock of all eternity. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the final question that was asked in our reading today. Moses called the place Masa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? In the difficult times, in the time of our wilderness of sin, 
in the time of our parchedness, when our lives seem the most dry and the most dead and the most overheated in the daytime and the most frigidly cold at night, in the times when we feel the most separated from God, when there's nothing but scorpions wandering around in our existence, when we feel the pressure of the moon's gods and the gods of this world pressuring in on us, in those moments when we are the most conflicted and the most afraid and crying out and complaining to God, we have the question to ask too. Is the Lord with us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? And the promise is right here in Exodus in our reading where Yahweh says, I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. I will be standing there on the rock with you. And a miracle of provision occurred. I don't know what desert you're in, what desert of sin you are in, what wilderness of zen you are in. I don't know where you are wandering this Lent. But wherever you are, know that God promises to be with you to stand with you, to provide for you, if only you will trust in Him. Faith is not just a passive thing. It's not just assent to doctrines. Faith is an action based upon belief, sustained by confidence. Faith is an action. It's a verb. It's doing something. It's placing your life on the line. That's exactly what Moses did when he took that staff and he went to that rock and he struck it as God said and the water flowed. Is the Lord among us? Is the Lord with us? The Word of God tells us that the Lord is with us. He made provision to be with us eternally in Jesus Christ our Lord. And because He is with us, we have nothing to fear. Even in the wilderness of sin, we have nothing to fear. This Lent, be open to the miracle provision of Jesus. Not just this Lent, throughout Easter, throughout Pentecost, throughout the entire year, be open to the miracle provision that God has for you. The miracle provision of the real presence of Jesus that God has for you. And receive it by faith. And allow the Lord to water your life with the true miracle provision of His grace, His love, His favor, His very real presence. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
have been listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of Northgate United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at Northgate United Methodist Church, 3700 West Northgate Drive, Irving, Texas, 75062. This program was produced by Dr. Gregory Neal.